Hello, everyone. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office. Welcome, everyone. Uh, the podcast from the Dean's Office is returning, and uh, it's been many months uh, since our last uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, last, last March, I was talking with Joy Mead, and it was a Tuesday, and we were discussing all the wonderful things the concert choir was going to do the rest of that semester. And even as we spoke, we knew there was a chance that the tour might get canceled, but we decided not to talk about that. Uh, we were still remaining hopeful, and actually, I think within two days, the tour was canceled, and uh, the college announced that we were closing, and like everybody else, uh, we went home and never came back the rest of the, the rest of the school year. Just a very strange uh, progression of events. By the time we posted that podcast, we knew what was happening, but at the time that we were recording it, we didn't. And so here we are coming back now the next fall, and I am thrilled to say that this is the sixth week of classes, and we're still here, and we're making it okay, and we're doing all right here at Messiah, and uh, that's, that's just terrific. And uh, with me today is Daniel Inouye, who is a professor in the theater and dance department. And with him is one of our students, Katie Fickett. And um, we're going to talk about their upcoming production of Antigone. Um, but I think it's just worth noting that uh, last year, when we shut down, we were just a couple of weeks away from opening As It Is In Heaven which uh, Daniel and I directed, and uh, it was ready to go. And uh, that <laughs> performance had to simply be dropped. And so it was, it was just a strange year, and that was just one of many heartbreaks, if I can put it that way, that happened. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> many yeah, things definitely. that we lost because of, uh, because of that shutdown. So I think it's really appropriate that I'm coming back and uh, starting with theater, because we were just just to write it at the cusp, as it were, of that of that production, and so uh, and Katie, I just I told you before we started, you're the first student to be a part of this uh, podcast series, and that's because, of course, you're a co-director of Antigone, and this is your um, this is your senior project. Yeah, it is. So, Katie, how did you come to direct this this play? Could you talk about the senior project and and how it came, led to this. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I'm not exactly sure how I ended up doing this because I'm a performance major, I'm a musical theater major. So this is not what I expected to be doing when I came in, but just through directing classes with Dan, I absolutely fell in love with that part of the process and working with actors and designers and just being collaborative with people and not just characters on stage. Mm -hmm. So that's been an incredible process to learn. And Dan was lucky enough to he was originally slated to independently direct this, and he was kind enough to uh, let me step in. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, Katie had originally um, put a proposal for her senior project to direct a children's musical. And I was originally slated to direct a children's musical as well, and so we thought, well, it'd be a great opportunity for her to come on board, give her some more responsibility, some, some greater opportunities to kind of oversee one of our main stage productions. Uh, then... COVID hit, right? Um, <laughs> and the, the idea of doing a musical was not something that we wanted to pursue anymore. Right. So we had to uh, kind of um, change tacks a little bit and find another opportunity, another show that we thought mm -hmm. would work well for um, where we are and what's going on right now in the world. Now, of course, part of the reason we went to 
to, to Greece, to ancient Greece, was because they acted with masks in, originally, yeah. and we're going to be acting with masks, I assume. And, and, That's correct, um, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, it, it fit, you know, to do them, do them as they originally were. In, in, a, in a sense, we won't be using Greek masks, I don't imagine. But, the <laughs> um, but so my, I guess the question is, why Antigone of, of, the, of the Greek plays that are out there <sighs> um, well, I had fallen in love with Antigone a while ago when I was doing it for, for an acting project, actually. Um, and I was acting in one of the opening scenes, and I just remember reading it through and just being amazed by how pertinent the information was. And we, we had to consider um, not doing a musical pretty early on in the spring or summer. So that was, of course, when a lot of well, everything was happening mm -hmm. in the summer. Protests, um, so much dissent and everything. And every time I kind of returned to Antigone, I noticed how, how the headlines I was reading and the, the dialogue of the show continued to get closer and closer together. And even though it's been almost 2,500 years, the similarities were just absolutely impeccable. So it kind of just inspired us to do a modern production of that and see how we could how we could contribute to the conversation in a way that because most most of the arts and theater industries are shut down right now um how we could yes. contribute our voices in that conversation that was kind of dead at the moment and mm -hmm. that we were lucky enough to be able to do that this is the advantage that higher ed has right now yeah is that the <laughs> arts can still go on because we're not dependent on a live audience right not dependent on ticket sales to keep us going and so we have that we have that advantage right now and I think uh, those of us who work in higher ed are, are, are fortunate that we um, haven't lost everything I mean most yeah. most performing artists Absolutely. right now are just sitting yeah. at home waiting you know so so we're really fortunate in that way but if I'm hearing you right you suggested Antigone I did yeah I did I absolutely love the show and I think Dan is pretty passionate about it as well, but yeah, we we suggested it pretty early on in the summer, I believe. So was this a was this a oh that's intriguing, or was this a I've always wanted to do Antigone or? Um, how? Well, yeah, I mean Antigone has always been. <clears throat> I mean, as far as the the Greek tragedies go, Antigone is one that I would uh, would am more interested in directing than others. Interesting. Um, so once once it was kind of put out there as an option, um, I thought, yeah, that that sounds that sounds and, and like why, a, a why good is possibility. That? Why is it more interesting to you than others? I think uh, I think because a lot of what Katie's already alluded to, right? Mm -hmm. That the notion that the story itself does seem to be one that you can still have a modern uh, connection to, like it's easier to bridge to that story than it is something like Oedipus, right? right. Um, where that we becomes love, a much more we love difficult Oedipus, thing. but not all of us can relate to having our eyes ripped out, like. And, and other parts of the end of the story, right? I mean, so... It's in King Lear, too, you know what I mean? That's a... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which is on my list. I'd love to. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I think I told you, Antigone is probably the first Greek play I, I read when I was a teenager. And so um, I, I don't know if... If I thought of it, I think all of Greek plays. I mean, it just always amazes me how old stuff is still so relevant. You know, you think, oh, this is different. This is a different time and place. And there are those external things that are different but human realities stay the same all Absolutely. the time yep. and uh and so it's it's often easy to see these but i think you're right in this case because of the conflict between 
the state, if I can put it that way, the state and the individual. Absolutely. That's what we see right in front of us on our streets yeah, every day. The law and God. Uh, so, do you want to talk about that a little bit, uh, just or how how you're going to handle that in in your production? Yeah. Um, so this has been, it's amazing the both the political and racial dissent that we see in 2020 um, translate really really well onto the stage between the the character of Creon who is completely prioritizes order and law and the character of Antigone who prioritizes the um, ties to family and uh, honor honor to the divine and it's very interesting to really question what the idea of justice is and that's something that we really see coming up in a lot of hot button topics right now. Could you step back? I mean, I'm sure many people know this story, but many don't. So could you just say a little bit about, not the whole story maybe, but just the background of the story um, as it's played out in in Antigone at the beginning? You want to take that? Uh, Sure, yeah. Um, So the story surrounds this character named Antigone, and her sister is Mini. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are the daughters of Oedipus. Um, They're now living with their uncle Creon. Basically, what happens is their brothers are involved in a civil war with, against each other. They both die. Creon dictates that one brother should be buried with honor. The other bro- brother should be left to rot on the field. Uh, and and basically, it's a civil war, as you say. So yes. basically, the side that Creon sides with, right. let's treat that guy well. Yes. And the mm-hmm. other guy treat like dirt. It, correct. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and Antigone, of course, uh, argues that no, that, that honor should be given to both. Um, these are her brothers. These are her all. brothers, right? Yeah. This is family, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, Creon has made a, de- a decree that anybody who, who touches or, or tries to give burial to the losing side will lose their life. Mm-hmm. The, the, that is part of the, the consequence of, of going against that law. And Antigone then has to make a choice, a decision. Uh, does she do what is right by the law, or does she do what is right by her beliefs in, in the divine? in God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she makes the choice to bury her so, brother. So this really, I mean, it really does set up a, a, a choice between legality and, and I don't know if morality is the right word, or at least what, what I believe is the, the, really the right thing for me to do, the appropriate eth- ethically, morally, right. and answering, you know, out of love for my brother, you know, that this is what I need to do in this situation, even though Creon is saying this is wrong, this is against the law. So it's that conflict, um, right? you know, the, I mean, the line from Martin Luther King's letter, you know, that everyone quotes, you know, the, uh, an unjust law is not a law at all. So, you know, is that the, <laughs> that kind of the yeah, situation absolutely. that we're looking at here? Yeah, right. It really looks at what the value of human life is and whose lives are valued and who has the right to say what lives are valued. Mm-hmm. Right. So, how are you, how are you connecting that with the, the present, yeah issues? Um, yeah. So we had a lot of ideas going into the semester of all the different possibilities we could do with this, right? Because it's it's Greek, so we can trim it, we can twist it up, we can do whatever we want with it, mm-hmm. and so we were really able to tailor that to our cast. Mm-hmm. And um, our leading lady, Antigone, is played by the incredible Gabrielle Johnson, who is a woman of color. And we decided to make this show an homage to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, we have sound bites playing in the beginning of in the end of No Justice, No Peace, mm-hmm. and really reminiscent of 
what happened specifically earlier this summer, but is really a timeless question and a really timeless demand. And it, it the way it translated so well to this show is both beautiful and terrifying, mm-hmm. I think. Terrifying because it's, it's, it was there it's perfect. 2,500 it years ago. It was 2,500 years ago, sorry. And still we're dealing with today. And we're still dealing with it now. Nothing's really right. changed much, yeah. Right, the similarities of the fates of some of the characters to what we see today is really similar and horrifying. Mm-hmm. 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 So you have sound bites of from the protests. Is that, am I understanding mm-hmm. you right? They're yeah. going on. It's a combination of some of the protests and some of actually of our actors uh, saying some of these pr- chants mm-hmm. to kind of supplement them, tie them together. It, mm-hmm. it really is, we have an incredible sound designer. Um, and he has done an incredible job. This is Martin, right? No, Martin. No. Martin's our, our technical director. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Daniel Gutenwergen. Okay. Yeah. Mm. He's fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Um, so you you said you know we could, it's a Greek play, so obviously it's not there are no copyright issues, right, <laughs> and so forth. So you can work with it. So have you rewritten it to some extent? I mean, I know you've in, introduced other things. Are you basically following the outline of the play though, with those in, with introductions? Or yeah. You... So we really tried to uphold the integrity of what mm-hmm. Sophocles wanted to communicate, um, and tried not to like rewrite the plot or anything. There are some things that are just shortened for the viewer's sake we took out a lot of the very greek greek elements that just would have made this very difficult to follow (laughs) because this is the the third play in a trilogy and since this isn't we are not listening to the first two Oedipus Rex Oedipus at Colonus it just wouldn't do any favors Mm -hmm. to the audience Mm -hmm. but um we we purposely did not did not change any of the genders of the characters even though the actors and the the characters' genders don't always m- match up. We we really tried to not actually change or add anything into the show, and that mm. was a really intentional choice on our part because we wanted to make the statement of look how similar these two things yes. are. So we, we took some things out for brevity and to make it a little bit more aerodynamic. Yeah. But um, we it's really, an edited text, but basically edited, the same text. But we did not add right. anything. Yeah. The story to it. is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's people do that with Shakespeare, and I mean, that's it's very common, isn't it, with older yes. mm-hmm. older theater things to cut and in opera too. You cut things out to right. cut out a couple of. We really don't need that ballet there, you know, for the story. <laughs> it's just entertainment. No, I mean. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, that's really that's really interesting. Um, I know um, uh, you're, you probably don't want to talk about it. You know, there's a surprise in at the end, isn't there? I mean, that, that's there's some, or maybe I should. I don't know. There's. Uh, we have under- a very powerful image at the end of the show yeah. that we've been purposely keeping from some of our publicity people. Yes. So, there's a little bit of a teaser. <laughs> yes, right. Tune in for the end, if nothing else. Okay. So yeah. So I, we will not do the spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I, I feel honored to be on the inside of, of that one. But <laughs> <laughs> get the inside scoop. But the final line is, "Fate has brought all my pride to a thought of dust." So we have an ongoing theme because of social distancing and everything. Mm-hmm. We can't um, like actors don't really touch each other besides right. a couple of select moments throughout the show that are very intentional. We tried everything we could do to keep the actors safe, but um, to make sure the 
the presence of those who lost their lives before and during the show are constantly on stage. We actually have chalk outlines of those people, similar to something you'd see at crime scenes, to really mm-hmm. add that uh, modernity. Like, yeah, so that's something that that final line, fate has brought all my pride to a thought of dust. When I read the show for the first time, I was like, wait, oh, that works quite well because like mm-hmm. you know your mind already starts ticking in the very beginning of hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if this could work and it just didn't feel real reading that and being like oh all this could work yes well I just wanted to ask you then about the you say you have these outlines is this going through the entire trilogy is that what you're saying of those who have no. died no the brothers um, Edicles and Polynesis mm-hmm. who did die in the, the show before that they're included because their presence is really important throughout the show they're mm-hmm. some of the most important characters even though they don't actually exist through actors right. in the show and that was a way of kind of paying tribute and homage to them and making sure that their mark was constantly the, the mark of death of those who came before you um, was constantly present in the show and in the, in the space. Okay, so it's primarily the two the two brothers. There are, are there a couple other... more along the way. Okay, but those along the way. Spoilers. There are some words. <laughs> <laughs> it can't they... be. A, it's not a good Greek play unless there's some death involved. Well, I know, but they never die on stage, do they? I mean, that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's right. true. Yeah. That's the one thing about Greek. It's always a messenger that yep. comes and says. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have an incredible messenger. I always word well. <laughs> Well, that's I, that. That really does tie into what's going on right now with the people that have died and the people and the you know the, this whole thing of say their names, which you probably have brought into, or do you have that that you know say their names and they start listing the names of the people that have died that you know. So we have several elements in regards to that, and some of it because we have to make sure that this is just palatable for all audiences. Mm-hmm, we did have mm-hmm. to make sure our ideas weren't too. Um, I guess people would say radical in the sense. So that's why we liked, we really stuck with no justice, no peace. Yeah, sorry. Because that no justice, no peace elevates voices. Mm -hmm. We we worked really hard with the show to elevate voices of those who weren't either being heard within this industry or within the show. And we tried really hard not to try to silence any voices because that's not how good conversation happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just I'm just fascinated by that idea though of the outlines, the chalk outlines, and um, uh, the awareness of people that have that have died, and mm-hmm. both before the show and during the show, and uh, how that how that relates to what's going on around us right now. Yeah. But I understand you need to you and you should. I mean, there's um, I don't know if you, if you know um, Anna Karenina. The novel. There's a famous scene where uh, one of the uh, one of the main characters is about to get married, and he goes and talks to the priest uh, because he's getting married in church, even though he's an atheist. Uh, his wife isn't. His wife to be isn't. And um, and uh, Tolstoy said that he was very careful to write that scene without showing which side he was on, the priests mm. or the atheists, because he think he said, I think it's more powerful that way. Uh, so I think that's what you're saying about mm-hmm. your approach to these issues is right. that you're presenting it. You're right. showing the 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 an, um, analogy isn't the right word, but you're showing the similarity between what hap- what's in the play and what's going on around us right, right. now. The play did all the work for us. Pre- exactly. Like, I just want to put that out there. For, I mean, right. we worked our butts off. Yeah. But um, the play made it really easy mm-hmm. to just kind of be like present 
this just happened to be what Sophocles wrote. Take yes. it for what you will. Yes. We're just putting it in this light to kind of enhance your but experience. But you're also pointing out, doesn't it seem a lot like what we see around us every day? It's funny, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good theater, good theater should do that, right? I mean, right. good theater presents this mirror to the audience and it says, look at this. Like, how do you feel about what you're looking at? Do you do you like this? Do you not like this? Right? And and in some ways, I think that's what we're trying to do with the show, right? Well, and we're I, challenging them a little bit and yes. saying... Right, good theater is distressing. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I really do think all art allows us to look at painful things in a in a tolerable way where we can tolerate the pain. Do you know what I mean? It, mm -hmm. it allows us to see these things. Right. And uh, I think that's really one of the roles of, of, of all art um, is to help us because we don't want to look at things. You know, there, there are things that we push away because it's painful to see it. And, uh, or, or it shows us things about ourselves we don't want to see. Absolutely. Right? For, for every one of us. And so, yeah. I mean, I really do think that's one of the roles of art, that it can do that in a way that allows us to, allows us to approach it when we couldn't do it otherwise. And so it sounds like that's what you have rather intentionally done Absolutely. in this, in this mm -hmm. case. Right? I mean, Antigone is not easy to watch. Especially, I, I know I'm very drained after rehearsals. Mm -hmm. um, especially, I've been in a very interesting dynamic as a white person directing this and trying to use this position that I have mm -hmm. to be able to elevate these voices that specifically on our campus, just because of our dynamic and diversity, mm -hmm. that doesn't often get to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a very fine line and it's, it is, it's incredibly draining mm -hmm. of watching this night after night and it, it it's not it's not susical it doesn't make you happy in the sense of joy and exuberance right but i think there is joy that tragedy. comes through awareness and knowledge and that's the joy that we we are really trying to imbue in this and i mean i i think now is a good a time as any to talk about the actors themselves and mm -hmm. just what they've been going through and through the pandemic and just immediately coming back after having shows ripped away from them in the spring semester, mm -hmm. not knowing what's happening in the fall, all having varying different experiences, coming back to school during quarantine, just their lives were turned upside down. And they were still willing to be so selfless by auditioning for this and putting themselves out there. This is an incredibly emotionally draining show. Like, I can say that as watching it, I'm, I'm drained, but mm -hmm. them in it, it's what they put themselves through is really beautiful and impressive and incredibly sacrificial. And that shouldn't be something taken for granted. Mm -hmm. and I, it's something I don't take for granted. Right, right, right. I, I can only imagine to, to be do it, rehearsing a tragedy day after day after day, which, which where you have to portray even more serious loss mm -hmm. um, like that. And, and this, these deep conflicts that we know are just part of human life, deep, deep disagreements within families and so forth that that can often rip us apart yeah and that are part of part of this play so I I, I can imagine what you're what you're saying there um, any closing comments I mean are there are there the things that we haven't touched on with, with this that you'd like to say um, I'm looking for gentle show. yes be ahead. gentle with us as you experience live stream <laughs> oh, this, right. we are we are the test dummy for the entire School of the Arts. So it will. it has been a journey. I did not expect to kind of become a mini film director with this. Um, <laughs> yes. But it's opened up so many opportunities for people. 
all, all over the states, alums, all over the world, really, mm -hmm. to be able to see this. And it's really, it's exciting, it's terrifying, it's new, it's the new normal. So... For now, hopefully. What's that? <laughs> Only for now, hopefully. <laughs> God bless, please. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm hearing you right, then you're saying that we're not, we're not going to see a live-streamed theater performance. Yes, this was made for live your blocking, stream. you changed yes. your... Yes, we did, right. Yes, we had to change a lot throughout the process. The performance to make them work better for cameras. Absolutely. Yes. This was really tailored. And part of the reason why we don't have any people in the space is out of necessity, but also for the fact that it just it's not made for people in the space. It's made for, we have several cameras at different angles, the, the lighting was had to be adjusted because the costumes had to be adjusted because white and black on camera, it, there's different flares. There's so many things none of us have really dealt with before. And mm -hmm. it's been incredible exploring this. It's been an incredible opportunity. But man, it came kind of late in the game and kind of threw <laughs> us for a loop. I know, um, you know, we, we, have a, we have acting for the camera on on the books as a course, but we haven't offered it in quite a while. And uh, so I guess this was our <laughs> acting for the camera course this year. Uh, <laughs> we're finally getting it. And mask acting. I'm not, I, I know that all of the, um, whenever I see films coming out of our film program, there are always a lot of theater majors doing the acting in them. So I know there is. There is acting for the camera happening, but there uh, is, yeah. it would be good if we could coordinate those programs in some way and um, uh, you know, get training on both sides because uh, I think in, in, in the world that we live in, you know, uh, I mean, even what we used to call movies and TV is obviously not, that's gone. You know, it's, it's going to be something different as we move forward right. and as augmented and mixed reality become more prevalent. Uh, we're going to be telling stories in lots of new ways uh, through through the various technologies that exist, and there are always going to be people that are going to want to sit in the same space with actors and really breathe the same air. That's never going to go away either, I don't think. I hope and not. I, think I hope every, not too. Yeah, and I'm I think graduating. every every, every uh, all of us as as professional artists are going to have to live in both worlds. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's. That's tremendous that you're having that experience, although it sounds like it was unexpected. <laughs> Some of the there challenges. Was, there was a steep learning curve. Yeah. Yes, right, for all of us. Steep is generous. It was a wall. <laughs> a thick castle wall with a moat around it. <laughs> Maybe no alligators in it. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, um, I think that's one thing that has happened with this, this disruption that we've lived through is that you know, many, many people have been pushed into using technologies that they weren't expecting to use. Mm -hmm. They knew were there, and maybe someday I'll do that, but it's just like, oh, you're gonna be a big shove into that now. And we're all, we're all just coping with that as best we can in so many different ways, yeah. It's a mandated learning privilege. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's a great, Great uh, positive thing to say about it. <laughs> That's just wonderful. Uh, any any further thoughts that you'd like to share before we wrap things up? Or? I think you should uh, come watch the show. Absolutely, right? I, I would agree tune with that. in. You know, uh, it's a, a great opportunity. I think the students and and Katie they're doing awesome work, uh, and I'd love and to Dan. have um, our alumni from all over the world tune in and, and let us know how we're doing. 
Yes, yes. Well, I mean, how can you go wrong? It's it's a great it's a great play, uh, one that I've loved ever since I read it. You know, I don't know, over fifty years ago. I'm sorry to say, and uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and you have certainly whetted my appetite uh, to to see what you have done this year. I'm just really looking forward both to seeing how you have connected it to, to our contemporary world and also to see what you have done with this technology and to see how that, how that has, uh, has changed things. Uh, working in a familiar theater space in the black box, right? This is all. We have one thing going for us, the black box ah, yes. and its familiarity. Yes, its familiarity and also its resources. I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's, a, it's, it's a, so a, versatile. Yes, exactly. Yes. Very, very versatile space. Yeah, yeah. So a good, good place to be doing this kind of thing. So anyway, well, thank you so much for joining me today and, uh, and talking about this play. It's just been a fascinating conversation. And uh, as I say, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I will be tuning in, I don't, either, if not tonight, then very soon this weekend. So, um, so thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office. <laughs>